So let's um, let's pray. Lord, as we um, open up your word, may you speak. Lord, guard my words. Guard what we hear. May your Holy Spirit speak. And may we learn to your praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so I'm um, just a, re- a reminder, and and says, um, and actually it's a confession. Um, so Leanne, I'm sorry. I feel like I killed your enthusiasm this morning, and I publicly apologize in front of everybody. So I apologize. Um, the whole goal of this lesson is of these lessons is to teach you how to open up scripture yourselves. There are lots of different ways to do that. And the whole goal of the lessons is to kind of give you just all these different tools and methods to do it so that you can get excited about who God is and what God wants to personally say to you. Okay? Um, there aren't a lot of right answers. This method is just meant to put us before God. And so, in a sense, this last week, um, one of the things that, that you had were these questions about faith. You know, I mean, all these character trait questions that you can ask about anything in Scripture. And the whole point was to ask those questions so you could get to be thinking on lots of different levels about a particular trait, like faith, or maybe later on grace, or love, or hope. You could use those questions for any of those to hopefully get you dig deeper, you know, into Scriptures in order to see God in a bigger way. In order that we might respond to him and let him respond to us, and that we might grow in our relationship with him. Okay, um, please. Again, um, every one of us is going to come at this from a couple different places. I think one of the things that's really hard for me, um, in, in coming into today, was was kind of like, okay. Let me think, what am I supposed to focus on, okay? Um, Am I focusing on faith or am I focusing on the spirit and powers, okay? Um, Because at a certain level, both are there. Am I focusing on Elijah? I mean, so in one sense, what you're going to get from me this morning is probably a little bit about what God is saying to Betsy. And if this is not what he's saying to you, then, you know, that's okay, okay? Okay. What's he saying to you is important, okay? Um, for me, um, a lot of what he's saying to me probably started um, this last weekend. Um, this last weekend, I was not at church um, because I was actually down um, in Vista, and my niece was actually getting married. And the fun part about that, and some people kind of does, do not know this, um, so I'll just go ahead and let everybody know if you miss this somehow. My brother is also a pastor. Okay. Um, my dad got two for two. Um, anyway, uh, and so my brother basically officiated over his daughter's wedding. But he also wanted to walk 
the ride down the aisle. So I got the great joy of doing the introduction part. And so I want to read you, and, and if you were at Allison Pettit's wedding, Sandy's daughter's wedding, you've, you've heard this. Um, but I want to read you something that I said at the very beginning of the wedding, and it's this. Today you're going to sign a license stating that you are legally married. That license is revocable. What is not revocable is the covenant that you are making with one another before your friends and family, and most importantly, before God. God takes the promises that you make today very seriously. For marriage is a sign of the covenant that he makes with us. God promises to never leave us or forsake us, to hold us in the palm of his hand, to provide for us, to forgive us, to stand in the gap for us, and to give us life. God wants us to know that we can depend on him, that he'll always be there for us. You see, God knows that we need that type of love and security to flourish and become all that we are created to be. In marriage, you provide that love and security to each other. Marriage is not a contract, but a covenant. Contracts can be broken. They're, they're filled with loopholes. They, they have the individual at the centers. Covenants are different. In a covenant, you bind yourself to the other, putting the other at the center. Covenants are not about what we get out, but what we put in. God gets nothing out of the covenant he makes with us. But the joy of seeing us become the people he created us to be and the enjoyment of a love relationship. In a sense, um, marriage is a practice of faith. Okay? In a sense, what I'm doing in marriage is that I'm binding myself to another person, trusting the other person, trusting that the other person is going to care for me. Okay? Um, it, it has its heart with God. See? Because that's the, what God does with us. God comes to us. And in fact, the very first, co- I mean, the first covenant is the rainbow that we see in Scripture. Okay, when, when God makes his covenant with Noah and he says, you know, never again am I going to flood the earth and destroy everything. Okay, but the second covenant that we see being made is the covenant that God makes with Abraham. And he basically says to Abraham, you know, I am going to bless you. And I am going to bless the earth through you. And God goes through this ritual that basically says, if I don't keep this covenant, okay, then I'm going to be the one who pays the price. But what's really fascinating about the covenant with Abraham, as opposed to the other covenants, okay, is that God's covenant to Abraham also basically is one that says, and if you don't keep the covenant, I also will pay the price. Okay? Which is what he eventually does in the cross with Jesus, okay? But what God has gone, I want you to know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you know, 
that I'm all in here. You can stake your life on what I'm saying because I'm staking my life on what I'm saying. And so that's exactly what Abraham does. He leaves his family and he leaves his household and he leaves his country and he stakes everything on who God is and what God has said. See? And Paul eventually in Romans is going to say, folks, that's what faith is. See? Faith is not intellectually agreeing to a set of truths. Faith is not picking and choosing what it is I want to believe. Okay? That's what was going on during Elijah's day. Okay? People were picking and choosing what they wanted to believe. Okay? You know, faith in God is staking everything on who God is. And what God says. Okay. Um, at one level we all have faith. Okay, let me go back to let me back up on one thing. On one level we all have faith. The question is what do we have faith in? And that becomes the question. The the faith that we have is is what are we in a sense choosing to trust, choosing to stake our lives on. Okay. You know? Um for a lot of us, you know, that, that's hard work, okay? It's, did I have enough money in the bank to take care of me? You know, um, it, it's that, you know, the sun's going to come up tomorrow and I'm going to have to face what's going on, so I better deal with it today, you know? Um, we all trust something. But faith in God is basically saying, I'm going to trust who God is and, and what he says, and I'm going to stake everything on that. That type of faith is only possible through the Holy Spirit working in our lives. That type of faith is only possible when we see who God is. Okay? Um, that type of faith might include doubt. Right? Um, this this chair. I brought this chair up here. Um, see, I'm not totally sure that this chair is going to support me. Okay, but I'm going to go ahead and step on it anyway. <clears throat> the older I get, the more I'm not too sure it's going to support me. <laughs> okay, I'm all in. Even though I might doubt my ability to stand here like this because I might fall one way or another because my balance is not as good as it used to be. Okay. But I'm all in on this chair right now. And what Elijah does when he brings down fire from heaven and he calls everybody to say, choose today who you're going to serve, he's basically saying, where are you placing your faith? 
And that's the question that I would ask all of you. Where are you faithing, placing your faith? What are you standing on? What is the foundation of your life? How do you perceive what you see on the news at night? How do you process it? See, having faith in Jesus, in God, means that I process it all through who he is and what he's said. And what has been revealed to the scriptures. Now, I told you this is kind of a little bit about, you know, what, what's going on of, with Betsy today at, at one level. Um, yesterday morning, Carolyn, I got to do this. I'm sorry, let's do it this way. This will help. Yesterday morning, um, in, in my own quiet time, I was reading out of Jeremiah. Um, 12, just one of those real uplifting passages. Um, And and Jeremiah is basically, um, God says to Jeremiah this. Your relatives, remember I'm talking, this is the middle of 12, but your relatives, members of your own family, even they have betrayed you. They raised a loud cry against you. Do not trust them, though they speak well of you. For I will forsake my house, meaning I will forsake Israel. I will abandon my inheritance. I will give the one I love into the hands of the enemies. My inheritance has become to me like a lion in the forest. She roars at me, therefore I hate her. Has not my inheritance become to me like a speckled bird of prey that other birds of prey surround and attack? Many shepherds will ruin my vineyard and trample down my field. They will turn my pleasant field into a desolate wasteland. And he basically goes on, and he's just he's talking about how bad things are in Israel at the time of Jeremiah. And how God is just fed up. And he's telling Jeremiah what he's going to do. He's going, I'm going to abandon my inheritance. Now, if I were living in Israel at that point, and Jeremiah came and said that, I'd be going, oh, no, 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 we got the temple here. It's okay, God's never going to abandon the temple. Nope, nope, nope. You know what, we're just going to sacrifice, and God will answer our prayers, and everything will be okay. And I would fight against what God is saying here. But we all know that God did exactly that. I mean, if you were with us last year with Daniel, when we went through Daniel, what happened? God allowed the Babylonians to come down and take the Israelites into exile. But this is the passage that really struck us. I was reading this as it went down. God says, as for my wicked, as for all the wicked neighbors who seize the inheritance I gave my people Israel, I will uproot them from their lands and I will uproot the house of Judah from among them. But after I uproot them, I will again have compassion and will bring them back to their own inheritance and their own country. And if they will learn well the ways of my people and swear by my name, saying, as surely as the Lord lives, even as they once taught my people to swear by Baal, 
They will be established amongst my people. I read that, and I went, wow. That's exactly what God did. God allowed the Babylonians to come down and take the Israelites into captivity so he could again get the attention of the Israelites. And then after the 70 years of of purification and, and getting the Israelites to turn back to God and cry out to him again, he again let them come back from the land that he had taken them to. And he punished the very people took them into captivity in the first place. But those who took them into captivity, who worshiped God, he allowed them to become part of his inheritance. And so, I mean, what did we have last year? We, we saw how some of the kings of Babylon began to worship God. What do we have with Jesus and the cross and, and the Gentile church? The very people who were against God are getting brought into God's inheritance. Before it all happens, God is saying, this is what I'm going to do. Will you live, Jeremiah, based on what I tell you? Or based on what you want to see happen? Will you trust in my revelation? Or will you fight against me? As I was continuing to study yesterday, one of the passages, um, there's a slide with Habakkuk on it. I think it's like, I don't know. What is it, four, I think? Um, One of the things that I discovered was that the first time that 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 one of the times that, that you'll live by that the righteous will live by faith, that passage in Romans that Martin Luther discovered and that Paul wrote. What did I do wrong? Okay, I'm sorry. That Paul wrote. Um, one of the things that it, that that passage actually comes out of Habakkuk four, an Old Testament prophet. Okay, where we find these words. Um, and, and, and just to give you a little bit of history on this, Habakkuk's basically about the same time, um, right before the fall of, of Jerusalem, same time of Jeremiah or, or Daniel, really. Um, and the Babylonians are, are beginning to kind of rise up and, and everything is wrong in Jerusalem, just like everything is wrong during Jeremiah's day. And, and Habakkuk is crying out to God and he's saying, God, why is everything wrong? What's going on? God, I don't get it. And this is what Habakkuk 2 says. After questioning God, I will stand at my watch. I'll station myself on the ramparts, on the, on the lookout towers. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. And the Lord answered, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets. For the revelation waits its appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and not delay. See, he is puffed up. His desires are unjust. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness. 
What God is saying in this, in this Habakkuk passage is that the reason why all these things are going on is because everybody is doing unjust things. Everybody is living only for themselves. Everybody is puffed up. But wait. Wait, Habakkuk. Because I will again set things right. But it's going to be in my timing and my way. Those who live by faith, those who live waiting on me, taking me at my word, living in the ways that I teach them to live, see, um, they will have life. And so in a sense, you know, Tim Keller basically um, says that, that having faith means first um, being patient. It means humbly coming before God and saying to God, God, I don't get it, but you're in control. God, I don't get it. I don't get why this is happening. I don't understand everything. But I'll trust in you. Lord, I can't change anything. I will just wait on you. I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but are you willing to just say to God, I'll wait on you. You love me. You know, you love others. You love those who are most important to me. You love this world more than I even dare to even get. You are working. I will wait. I won't fight you, but I'll trust you. Having faith is having a perspective that doesn't see things with me at the center. It's a perspective that puts God at the center. You know, what I liked about the covenant of marriage is that what's happening is we're saying, I'm going to put you at the center. God's saying to us, I'm going to put you at the center. And what we say back to God is, God, I'm going to put you at the center. I'm not going to evaluate things based on myself. I'm going to evaluate things based on God. I'm going to see things based on God and what God is doing. Faith is having a perspective that sees everything through the glasses of God. And God's plans. And God's hope for the world. Okay, um, We're sharing you know, that, that Thanksgiving tree. The world is in chaos. I mean, it's a newspaper-oriented tree. The world is in chaos. You know? And God's going, I got the world. It might blow up first. That's okay. Can you, I mean, can you buy that? In a sense, that's what God says is going to happen at some point. You know? If that's what's going to happen, how do I live accordingly? See, I want to fight that. And God's going, the Babylonians are going to come. And I go, okay, so what does that mean for how I live today? See? It means I tell people that there's life after the Babylonians. See? It means I tell people to go settle down in the land of Babylon and to bless 
my captives in the land of Babylon. Because God's working even in Babylon. See? What perspective do I go at life from? Having faith means I go at life from a perspective of this big eternal plan that God is working. It means that my life becomes all about building his kingdom. Not my kingdom, but his kingdom. Um, It means being obedient. Habakkuk stays on his post. Where's God placed you? It means showing up to where God has placed you until God places you someplace else. Recognizing that God has a purpose for where he's placed you. And trusting in that and going into that saying, okay, I'm here today, God. How do I point people to you today? It means not waiting on God's answer or reward or the Lord's things or even his deliverance, but waiting on him. It's being faithful. It's being God-centered. Worrying about what, that God is glorified rather than what I'm getting out of it. It means being joyful. Because at the end of the day, I know the depth of God's love for me. That if he let his son die for me, will he not give me all other things? Um, One of the um, Tim Keller quotes that I I read said something, uh, he quoted Jonathan Edwards and he said, you know, one of the things about being... um, about having faith in God is that we know that everything that bad happens to us, God will basically turn around and somehow do something good out of it. Okay? And everything that good that happens to us will last forever and that the best is yet to come. Being joyful is recognizing that the best is yet to come. See? No matter what's going on in my, my life. Because this life is about so much more than the here and now. See? Having faith is stepping on to God and putting my full weight on who he is and what he says and how much he loves me and how much he loves the world and how much he loves that person that I love and that he has all power. That... um. That type of faith. Let's go to the. Let's go to the next slide for a minute. Um, is, is rational. Um, it, it it means reading scripture and thinking through scripture, and struggling with scripture, and praying scripture back to God. It's personal because it comes out of an encounter with God. It's foundational and it's grace-filled. Let's go down to number seven. But that type of faith is only possible through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Um, Part of this lesson is that the Holy Spirit empowers. See? I can't convince somebody to have that type of faith. All I can do 
is point somebody to God. And then I can let the Holy Spirit reveal God to that person. Okay? I can't convince somebody philosophically to agree with me. But through the Spirit's presence in my life, okay, I can show others the reality of God as they see God in me. But that is all a Holy Spirit work. Okay? Um, one of the comments that, that I read about faith, and I, again, I think this was a Tim Keller comment, um, was that until we recognize, I think it was when, he's, when I was reading some of what he wrote about Ephesians, until I recognize that my faith is because of God's work in my life and not because of anything I do. Okay. Um, I won't live in the humility and gratitude that God wants that that God wants me to really live in. And instead I will be living in my work of faith. I don't know if that makes sense to you at all. So I think a lot of times we try and force ourselves to believe something and 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 instead, what Keller's saying is rather than doing a work of faith, the way I grow in faith see, is by growing in my love relationship of God. The more I get to know God, then the more faith I have. Okay? Um, so what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit empowers us to see God. Okay? The Holy Spirit comes to us as a, as a witness. And one of the passages that you, that you read is that, that Jesus said that Acts passage, you know, you're going to receive power okay, on high. That power comes at the day of Pentecost. So one of the things I was doing was reading John um, Stott on, on the coming of the Holy Spirit and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And it was fascinating. He said, you know, the problem that we have today is, is that we see, you know, we look at power from a wrong perspective. We see power as that thing that, in a sense, you know, wants to put me at the center or, or have everything revolve around me or, or to force somebody else to do what I want them to do. The power of the Holy Spirit is a power that comes to witness to Jesus, to help us see who Jesus is is. See, the whole point of the, the Spirit's coming is enable us to see and get to know Jesus. You know, I think a lot of times when we read about the empowerment of the Spirit, we think about all these miracles, and, and, and instead it's first and foremost to see Jesus. Okay? Elijah, in his growth in faith and his growth in power, came about as he's at the creek, as he's in the widow's house, as he's being obedient to God, as he's seeing God's provision and God's care for him and, and how God's word can be trusted. As he sees more of God, he receives more power. It's a power that is focused on glorifying God and keeping God central. 
And so when we talk about empowerment of the Holy Spirit and, and living in the Spirit, that, that empowerment comes first and foremost really to show other people Jesus. Because it's really what it's about. At the end of the day, is Jesus. Okay? Um, it's a witness to the cross of Jesus. It's a witness to the fact that the way this world works, which is often through selfishness and brute force, doesn't win the day. But that really when we give our lives over to other people in weakness... When, when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, that resurrections happen. That there's actually strength in dying to ourselves and taking up a cross. See? That is talking about faith. But the Holy Spirit empowers us to live cross-filled lives that really end up being vindicated that end up being resurrection lives okay it is a witness to Jesus it is a witness to how to live in the world it empowers us to love and weakness because when we're weak we're actually strong The Holy Spirit comes to us um, in order that we might get caught up into the fellowship of God that we might live lives the way Jesus lived his life, the way the Father lived his life, the way the Spirit lives life. Lives of servanthood and worrying about the other and glorifying the other. Um, let's go to the very first slide. Um, did some reading on um, Ephesians 1, and in the slides you'll get have some comments about Ephesians 1. I did some reading on um, the Matthew passage. Um, it's, it's funny, the Matthew 17 passage that you studied a, a little bit at the beginning of the week um, comes right after the, the um, transfiguration where Jesus is up on the mount and, and God tells the disciples, you know, listen to Jesus. You know, um, He has all authority. Listen to him. And then they come down from the mountain and the disciples are um, totally um, unable to um, cast out this demon that's in this young boy. And, and Jesus says, you know, if you would just have the faith you know, but mustard seed, you could move this mountain type of thing. And, and um, 
Dale Bruner says that in a sense you have the authority of listening to Jesus and then the authority of talking to Jesus. Uh, that we, we need to, to listen to him and then talk back to him. The reason why they couldn't cast the demon out because they didn't do it with prayer and fasting. See, they tried to do it on their own rather than seeking God and talking to God about it and repentance and, and trying to find out what God was doing. And, and you'll see that in the slides and you'll see some stuff about Ephesians. But you'll also see one, but there are two prayers in, in Ephesians. One in chapter one where Paul prays that we would have this incredible power, that we would know the power that is ours to have. And it's not a power that is ours to have so that life goes the way we want it to be, but it's so that we can live the life of God's kingdom. And then he talks about the prayer. There's a second prayer in Ephesians 3, which also talks about being filled with the Spirit and living out who we're called to be. And it's in the middle of that section in Ephesians 3 that Keller writes these words. Our thesis that all, the pro- all of our problems ultimately are theological ones. To some degree, our problems always stem from either not knowing or seeing who God is or forgetting who he is at the moment. Having faith is recognizing who God is and responding accordingly, waiting on him, being obedient to him because he knows what he's doing in the moment. Elizabeth Elliott has a wonderful, realistic, both comforting and at the same time convicting statement where she essentially says, God is good, and since he is God, he is worthy of my worship and my service. I will find rest nowhere but in his will, and that will is necessarily infinitely immeasurably and unspeakingly beyond my largest notion of what he's up to. Having faith is doing what Jesus would call me to do in the way that he calls me to do it when I don't get what he is up to and where it seems to go against everything else that the world is telling me to do simply because I stand on Jesus. To trust the power of God over history for you is on the one hand to give up trying to figure things out. And I would say to trust God, the power of what's going on in your life. And on the other hand, just to trust. Having faith... You have faith. Is it faith in the right thing? You grow in that faith through Holy Spirit empowerment as you sit before God, as you see his face, as you live out of the simple things that he calls you to do on a day-by-day basis. trusting in his kingdom present and to come. Um, I'll close with this, um, which is, I needed to close five minutes ago, sorry. One of the things that has helped me probably grow more than anything 
um, in that type of faith has probably been just reading a psalm a day. One of the things about the psalms is they take a look at all the things that are bad in the world and they say, God, they're all yours to deal with. I'll wait on you to deal with them. And they look at all the things that are good in the world and they say, God, thank you. They're from you. Psalms help us see God in the day-to-day good and bad of life and refocus everything back on him so that everything I do comes out of my view and my perspective of who God is and what God is doing. Where do you place your trust? Let me pray. Lord, um, help. Help us not make faith work. But Lord, at the same time, may all that we do come out of our faith. Thank you that we don't have to do that on our own. But that you give us power through your spirit to do that. To your praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good morning.